Welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And today on the show, we're talking about rent-to-buy schemes, rent-to-buy schemes. Now, we are seeing more of these become, uh, or more rent-to-buy schemes being talked about uh, in the public. And I believe the government actually has has floated the idea for uh, kind of lower socioeconomic uh, families who, who want to be able to purchase their, their first time. But we also know that more developers are talking about these as well. And essentially, what a rent-to-buy scheme is, is where you'll pay a higher amount of rent and then at a agreed future date, you have the option to purchase the property for an agreed purchase price. Andrew, just walk us through how these tend to work and what's in it for the vendor and what's in it for the buyer. Yeah, so uh, these are quite interesting and I remember seeing a lot of them prior to the GFC, to prior to 2007. Um, there were there were a lot of companies that were kind of offering these to people um, and I was very wary of them, um, particularly because of the type of people that they would tend to attract. Uh, and so I distanced myself from them and rightly so because they came crashing down a few years later. So um, let me just talk about how they work and, and, and it's a concept. So say you've got a house at the moment worth uh, $450,000 just for ease of numbers and um, you might say that you'd agree to sell it to someone for, well, actually let's just say $500,000. You agree to sell it for $500,000 today and the rent would be $500 per week. What then I do as a developer or a vendor is I, I do a, an agreement for sale and purchase to buy that in five years' time for $500,000. So the upside now for a purchaser is that I'm getting today's price, which usually there's a bit of fat in there. Um, you know, It might actually be worth four eighty, dollars but they're agreeing on five hundred. dollars But I get that in five years' time, and hopefully the property might be worth, say, 600000 in five years' time, for example. Now, what then you have to do as the purchaser of that property is you have to pay an above market rent. So if the rent's $500 a week, you pay $700 a week. $500 goes towards the rent payment and $700 goes towards a deposit payment. And so you pay... Uh, you pay your $700 in total, 200 kind of gets parked. And the idea that in five years time, you've saved 200 a week times 52 weeks times five years, roughly $50,000. So in theory, you have a 10% deposit. Now, banks are very dubious about them. Uh, and BNZ, I think it was BNZ at the time, would only lend 50% uh, LVR on them. And so the challenge was, or where people came unstuck, is $700 a week might be more than your family can potentially afford. Now, if you stretch yourself and make it work, and then three years down the track, you can no longer um, sustain that and you have to move out of the house and go and rent somewhere else, you lose the $30,000 that you've paid thus far, being three years of $10,000. And so the person, the vendor, the owner of that house ends up collecting a far higher rent than what would be normal um, because they tend to target people who aren't actually able to save enough money and that's and that's how that's how you know they end up winning. And then of course, if you are the vendor of one of these properties, you can go to the bank and say, well, I've got a really good yield on this property. Um, will you lend me more money? And so, of course, um, I saw more of these come unstuck than I saw them successfully go through. 
And the other interesting thing, just in terms of talking about what's in it for the vendor, obviously we talked about the higher cash flow, but what's not within the numbers is that you've got to have a very well-behaved tenant because this person, uh, at least at the start, has the intention that they are going to purchase this property and so is going to look after it. Um, they might take, take more care to repair it and maintain the property and make sure that it's looking good because they're treating it as if it is their home and they want to maintain that because they have agreed to buy that. Uh, obviously, there's that margin on sale as well. If you're going to sell it initially up front for a bit higher than it would actually be worth on the market. And obviously, of course, that extra money for when it comes through. So generally, we are saying be a bit cautious about these sorts of schemes. I know I've seen a couple of uh, investors talking about them as well in terms of tenants approaching them for these types of schemes. While they can tend to be profitable, I can also anticipate that you could come across a couple of disputes as well down the line, Andrew, depending on how these contracts are written to make sure that uh, you don't have a tenant challenging some of the language within those contracts. Yeah, well, one of the one of the things that I remember um, seeing come unstuck was a guy who uh, was selling a property um, to a family who were diligently putting their extra money aside, paying the hydraulic rent. What happened was he ended up being put into liquidation by his bank, and so of course they sold off off all his assets, and they had no recourse, and all they could do was file against him, but he had no money to to recover. And so, of course, that money had already been spent. He was screwed. Uh, the, 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 fa- the poor family w- weren't able to recover any of that money. And so you have to be very certain if you're the buyer in this instance that your landlord isn't going to keep um, leveraging against that property and then not be able to release it, for example, if there was a lending criteria change or uh, that go get into financial trouble themselves or borrow more money against it and then not be able to fulfill that contract. And whilst, again, you might have a legal case against that person, if they've got no money to chase, then there's no point even going down that path because you might be one of many people that they owe uh, and that can become a real issue because you might have put aside thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 extra and not have any ability to recover that and um, you're kind of stuffed at that point. And just walk us through, Andrew, is there any situation where a rent-to-buy scheme might be appropriate for particular people? When, when might this sort of scheme be appropriate? I think the only time that I would feel comfortable with it would be if it was a family type of arrangement. So if mum and dad had a rental property that the kids wanted to buy, then maybe what you would do is you would put, you would have the rent payment go into one account and you'd have the deposit payment go into another account and you'd structure it with someone that you trust and you know is going to honour the agreement later on that you know is going to be in a financially uh, able position to be able to to uh, fulfill that obligation at the end. And if you did run into trouble in five years uh, as the buyer and not be able to get finance, they're not going to say, I'm sorry, but that $50,000 that you've saved towards the deposit is now gone. That's now my money. That would be the only time that I would say it's an appropriate mechanism. In the past, I've just seen so many people get burnt by them. You have to really, really tread with caution. Yes, I think with some of these more complex financial arrangements uh, and contractual agreements, you do have to be a, a little more wary about them because if you don't fully understand them, there is that that risk of, I guess, what's called asymmetric information where one person knows more about an agreement than the other party on the other side of the table. Uh, and and if you, you are working into one of these agreements but don't really understand your obligations around them or some of the things that can go wrong, that is where things 
have the potential to go wrong and had you known about that uh, you might not have walked into that arrangement in the first place but look let's wrap it up there but please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast it really does help us get the message out to more people and hey if you've been listening to the show for the while and you've been thinking, hey, I'm going to try out this property investment thing, then why not check out our property investment quiz? I'm going to drop a link to this in the show notes, but in just seven questions, it will tell you as a first-time investor whether you're in a position to invest, you might be in a position to invest, or you're potentially not in the position to invest right now. So I'm going to drop a link to that in the show notes, or you can check it out at opuspartners.co.nz. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time. <laughs>